Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Please welcome back to the Institute of Catholic Culture, Dr. John Cutterback. Thank you, Deacon. The, the title here is Seeking the Fingerprint of God, and I was thinking about this title, and, but, the, but there's something I don't like about it, and that is, that is this. Um, when you think of looking for a fingerprint, in general you're looking for someone that doesn't want to be found. And it, you, you have to look really hard and you're not sure whether you're going to be able to find the fingerprint. The other thing about a fingerprint is that it only reveals so much about the person whose fingerprint it is. Our God ladies and gentlemen, is a God who speaks. He, he speaks to us. I've spent a lot of time studying philosophers, ancient philosophers especially, and for them, basically, life is a search after something that's going to be extremely difficult to find, and you'll only be able to find it just so much. The goal of your search is always going to be quite a bit beyond your actual finding. It, it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, that God was just preparing them, preparing human nature, preparing us. He's all about speaking. He has been speaking. He always will be speaking. And His speaking is actually about relationship. He wants us to hear what he has to say. It's at the center, as it were, of him that he wants to communicate something to us, and he wants to be heard. And indeed, he wants us not only to find his fingerprint, much more, he wants us to find his face. My first quotation here, I love from the Psalms. My wife wrote it up on a little card and we have it next to the bed and we enjoy reading it together in the morning. The psalmist here is speak begins, it's the psalmist speaking to God. You have said, seek ye my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. At the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't hide his face. Or the times that it seems that he was hiding his face, I think it's simply the truth to say he was hiding, in a sense, only that the finding might be the more real. It's never about hiding. It's about face to face. 
So God's speaking to us in many ways, and one of the ways, what we're here today to reflect on for a few minutes together, is how he's speaking to us through the beautiful natural world around us. One thing that's very exciting, I, ho I hope that you've had occasion to, to read the Pope's encyclical, it's long, Laudato Si, that I, I know, and let, me, let me be frank, I know there's, there's some controversy, there's some, there's some things in there that people, well, should, should this aspect of science be being referred to? And, and a, another thing you hear said is, is aren't, there, aren't there more important things to be talking about? I'd, I'd like to suggest right here that we kind of cut through all that. A, 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 a priest friend of mine in a very beautiful, noteworthy sermon that I've now repeated a few times said the following that I want to share with you. Said, so no matter what else might be said, an appropriate disposition on our part towards the Pope's encyclical is to ask, what is the Holy Spirit offering to us? What does the Holy Spirit want us to see? I, for one, am not going to stand back and say, well, shouldn't an encyclical have been written on something else in God's providence? Even in these times, maybe, especially in these times, the Pope wrote an encyclical that very much drew our attention to the environment, to the natural world around us. And there's many, many issues there that we're not going to look into at all. But one of the main things, one thing, part I particularly recommend, he quotes Pope John Paul II saying, at some length, in very powerful and beautiful in the natural world as being a way that God is speaking to us and trying to communicate something to us. So my, my, my main offering here today is in that spirit, in the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the Pope to write this encyclical, to direct our attention in this direction, we can ask ourselves today, are we hearing what God is saying to us in the natural world. There surely are many other ways he's speaking. He has many ways, which is itself a beautiful sign of his love and how he is trying to draw us close to himself and his face. But here again, it's, it's nice to realize we should be attentive on all levels. And one of those great levels, something kind of foundational. It's there for everybody, all the time, all around us. Words are being said. Are we hearing them? So what I'd like to do is, I've, I've, on this handout, I've put down some words of Scripture. And so the neat thing that I'd like to do with you is to look at God's words to us in Scripture, which are a clue to what He's saying to us without words, words in the normal sense, in the natural world. So again, we look at Scripture, His explicit words, so we can learn more about what He is saying to us in the natural world. So I started here with the Book of Wisdom, chapter 13, which is a kind of foundational text in Scripture for our understanding what God's trying to communicate to us. So allow me to read out loud these ten rather remarkable verses. But all men are vain in whom there is not the knowledge of God and who by these good things, another we said this, you know, it's not, it might, might even be a nice occasion to just lift our eyes up and look at the trees, look at the grapevines, look at the hills. 
who by these good things that are seen could not understand him that is, neither by attending to the works have acknowledged who was the workman, but have imagined either the fire or the wind or the swift air or the circle of the stars or the great water or the sun and the moon to be the gods that rule the world, with whose beauty, if they, being delighted, took them to be gods, let them know how much the Lord of them is more beautiful than they. For the first author of beauty made all those things. And if they admired their power and their effects, let them understand by them that he that made them is mightier than they. For by the greatness of the beauty and of the creature, the creator of them may be seen, so as to be known thereby. But, but yet as to these they are less to be blamed, for they perhaps err, seeking God and desirous to find him. Now, what's the interesting turn there is the author's actually saying, they're looking at the natural world, they're so moved by it, the world is so beautiful, maybe we shouldn't blame them so much that they got caught up in the world. Watch the kind of back and forth here in the author of the scripture. But yet, as to these, they are less to be blamed, for they perhaps err, seeking God and desirous to find him, for being conversant among his works, they search, and they are persuaded that the things are good which are seen. But then again, they are not to be pardoned, so it kind of switches back. For if they were able to know so much as to make a judgment of the world, how did they not more easily find out the Lord thereof? Now interestingly, watch this final turn. It refers to a different set of people. But unhappy are they, and their hope is among the dead, who have called gods the works of the hands of men, gold and silver, the inventions of art, and the resemblance of beasts, or an unprofitable stone, the work of an ancient hand. Interestingly, the, 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 the scripture author is, is more understanding of someone confusing nature with God than those who look at what we have made and are so absorbed in that, we treat that as though that's God. But perhaps it's, it's quite a lesson therein. But, but just note the beautiful fundamental truth that's being conveyed. We can see from the artifacts truths about the artist. And it is just a fundamental insight of reason that we should be able to see. The artist is always more beautiful than the artifact. And there's so much that can be seen by inference, even if somewhat darkly, to what must be behind these things. Let's jump to the New Testament here in St. Paul, another very famous text on this issue. We're at Romans 1, 19 and 20 here on the middle of your first page. Because that which is known of God is manifest in them, the them is wise men among the Gentiles. In other words, we can look back and see some among the Gentiles were able to see God, men like Aristotle, for instance. For God has manifested it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. His eternal power also and divinity, so that they are inexcusable. 
We'll come back to the inexcusable part. I put down here St. Thomas's commentary on this text, and it, it's, it's very beautiful, and I'd like to move right into that. So this is St. Thomas precisely explaining those lines from St. Paul that we just read. Here it should be noted, one man manifests something to another by unfolding his own thought by means of such external signs as vocal sounds or writing. But God manifests something to man in two ways. First, by endowing him with an inner light through which he knows. Send out your light and your truth. Second, by proposing external signs of his wisdom, namely sensible creatures. What he means by sensible creatures is everything that can be sensed. In other words, the material natural world around us. This is, he's saying, this is a major way that God manifests, that he speaks to us. He quotes here, Sirach, he poured her out, namely wisdom, over all his works. Let's pause. I, isn't that an incredible, the beautiful notion? Wisdom, which is always a beautiful ordering, God poured his wisdom into the natural world. And the only reason, ladies and gentlemen, I think this is, this is the foundational point, the only reason that he poured his wisdom into the natural world is so that we would see it. The, I'll say it again. The only reason he poured his wisdom into the natural world is so that we see it. Isn't it, it, it's kind of dramatic. If there's not a human face to look ultimately upon those fields and see something being said, what are those fields for? Thus God manifested it to them either from within, by endowing them with the light, or from without, by presenting visible creatures in which, as in a book, the knowledge of God may be read. You've perhaps heard the, heard the image before, but isn't it, isn't it just, I look down, down the hill there, there's a, there's a hammock there underneath the trees there, and I presume there's a stream right behind that. Picture lying down, I'm going to make a suggestion here in just a couple moments when we wrap up of a few things we might want to do. Picture sitting down in the hammock and starting to read the book that God wrote, the first book that God wrote before he wrote Scripture. Another line there from St. Thomas. For just as an art is shown by an artist's works, so God's wisdom is shown by his creatures. From the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator. The, what should we see most of all, ladies and gentlemen, in, in this book? There's, there's, there's so many things that we should say, that we could see. One of the things I'd like to throw out is what perhaps is the fundamental message that's coming through is that it's ordered for our good. Could nature could the world around us, and, and, I, and I honestly say this, and look, I know there, there's modern philosophers, ladies and gentlemen, who look at this same natural world, and they actually, they're so, 
I would say, jaded. The eyes through which they see, they actually say, if God were good, why is there... <clears throat> and if really they're a good God, then wouldn't things be... People can always ask that. But I nonetheless, I stand before you, and with a certain boldness and confidence, I'm just going to say, can we imagine the natural world being better ordered for us than it is? I just want to note a, a, a quick example or, or two. Compost. I don't know if I have any, any, any garter, gardeners in the, in, in the area here. Compost, all right, how, how am I going to give this as an example? If you know anything about compost, you know this, that all you need is some carbon matter and you need some nitrogen matter, which basically means you need some brown and you need some green. So you get some dead, you get some dead leaves or straw or mulch on the brown side, that's the carbon side, and then on the nitrogen side, you need something green, or you could get some fresh manure. Now I'm really going on the edge. And put, put that together, put that together, let it just sit there. Maybe turn it once or twice, and then you come back, and you have gold. You have something that's better than gold. You have this, it actually, it smells good, and then you put a seed in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a fairy tale. You put a seed in it, and the next thing you know, you're having prosciutto. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, what is that? How, how did that happen? I mean, you just have to stop and say, this is better than any fairy tale that's ever been written. Just that compost works. And honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say to you that some, that we all can be tempted to look at this world and do something as bold as attribute it to chance is an astounding testimony to our blindness and hard-heartedness that we can actually not be consistently seeing. This is a gift. This is a gift. This is a gift. How many more things would, would we, um, um, we can pretty much leave it at, at, at compost, but how about just <laughs> sunrise? I mean, sunrise. Sunset, the lunar cycle, trees, trees. This isn't a gift. I'm on the back side now. Let's take a look at the next verse in Romans. Because that when they knew God, they had not glorified him, as God, or given thanks, but became vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. So here there's a little bit of the, the, the dark side here. He says that Gentiles were able to see, they were able to see there must be a God behind this, but most of them did, it did not move them to give thanks. And here, 
I'd just like to suggest we take this as, as a challenge. This should inspire us when we have eyes to see the natural world. What should our fundamental response be? One of gratitude. St. Thomas's commentary. They knew him as the cause of all good things. Hence, in all things, he was deserving of thanks, which they did not render. Rather, they attributed their blessings to their own talent and power. Hence, he, St. Paul adds, or given thanks, namely to the Lord, give thanks to him in all circumstances. In their thoughts, they became vain because they put them, their trust in themselves and not in God, ascribing their blessings not to God but to themselves. As the psalmist says, our lips are with us. Who is our master? What, was the, what is the thing that makes that is most condemnable about even here the pagans? And this, is, this should give us pause. St. Paul and St. Thomas are saying the pagans should have been able to know. They should have been able to know not only is there a God behind it, but it was a gift for which we should be grateful and thus be living in gratitude. It says they are to be condemned because they did not live in gratitude. As I was looking at that, I thought, and what about me? That's just from the gift of the natural world, much less all the other gifts in the Christian dispensation we've been given. Do I live my life in gratitude? I'd like to just wrap up with a couple of practical suggestions. In view of some of these things that Scripture has directed our attention to the natural world around us, what might we do? How might we try to live out and cultivate in ourselves a greater attentiveness to this so as to better receive the gift that's being offered to us? And the, the first big suggestion I'd like to make that we could, I think, all think about is spending more time among his artifacts than among our artifacts. There's lots of things that we've made, and it seems to me something that's particularly characteristic of our generation is we are absorbed in them. We spend so much time pouring over little machines, trying to figure out how they work, or then trying to do whatever. I'd like to throw this out. Technology has many uses, and we need to use it. But then, do we end up, how much time do we end up then just losing among the technology? Which again, which are our artifacts, which ultimately are not as good pointers as his artifacts are to the root realities and truths of life. I'm not saying that technology, ladies and gentlemen, is evil. I'm not. What I'm suggesting, though, is time. Where do we spend our time? To say to ourselves, am I spending the time that I should trying to take advantage of what clearly God in his jolly generosity put all around us if we open our eyes? Second suggestion, this brings back the, the uh, compost a little bit, in some form or fashion, cooperate in, be a steward of the natural world. For he, here's, ladies and gentlemen, a whole further and beautiful wrinkle. Not only is the natural world speaking to us if we just stand and look, but amazingly, 
in many ways, it's also saying, come, join us, as it were, steward us, and in doing so, you will become more yourself. And you'll realize all the more who you are and what God has designed for you. So nature is not something just to be a museum piece that's contemplated, though it is very much worth just stopping and looking, but there is this beautiful aspect of, of enter into it. We will see all the more how well it was designed for us, for our good, because again, we steward the natural world, interestingly, unselfishly, but it's still ultimately, God wants us to do that for our sake, not for its sake. God doesn't care about the trees, except in as much as he cares about us. My final suggestion is to use Matthew 6, 25 to 31, which is on the, the last quotation there on the back side of your page, which gives us kind of a, a beautiful command and is a beautiful illustration of a specific point at the heart of life that clearly God wanted us to learn by our looking to the world around us. Our dear Lord says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on, family problems, relationship problems, job problems, world problems, economic problems. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your, hev your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Consider the lilies of the field. Thanks a lot. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.